President sends his greetings. He spent this last uh, weekend up with his folks in South Dakota uh, in Rhonda. I'm pretty certain he still has his buffet pants on. You know what those are to kind of stretch real high. He'll be back with us. We continue to pray for him as he navigates the season. Okay, so two weeks ago, I was in Dallas, Texas. I was at a multi-ethnic church conference, one that we have been a part of for the history of our church. And while I was there, I met this dude, and his name was Terry Christ, and he's a pastor of another multi-ethnic, multi-site church. And he shared a message that was just really powerful, really wonderful. I didn't have his contact information, so I found him on Instagram, sent him a note, and said, hey, thanks for your message, kind of thing blah, 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 blah. And he responds back to me and says, thanks, uh, something kind of nice, right? So that was that week, two weeks ago, right? This last week, the week after, I am in my feels. Any feelers out there online? Any feelers out here? Come on, help, help me out here, right? Uh, it was just one of them weeks, right? One of them weeks that it never moves past Monday at 1135, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, still Monday morning, 11.35, and I had just some tough conversations, some tough stuff, and I was at the low of my feelings. And on my, on my phone, I get a notification that says I got a message from this Pastor Terry. And I was pretty certain this is going to be the prophetic word of all prophetic words for my life to pull me up out of my emotions. I was in a low place, and sure enough, I kind of scrolled through there a little bit and saw that it says, I've been praying for you this week, and I all of a sudden got real excited. I, got, I was pumped. I'm like, this is going to be the thing that launches me. And I read, and I read, and I read, and I got to the last line. And the whole thing before that was all about God is going to do this, and going to do that, and going to do this. And then it said, and if you would sow this amount of money in this ministry, depths of shale. <laughs> now, truth be told, it was like a fake account. that Some dude copied all of his account trying to get people money. Poor him. But what happened was it was a level of unmet expectations that I don't think I was prepared for. The close of a year like this one, I don't know about you, but I find that I start to reflect more on what hasn't been sometimes than what has been. I, I get to the, I thought by now it would have been different. I thought by now the job would have looked different. I thought by now the relationship status would have been different. I thought by now the educational track would have been different. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. And holiday seasons in the close of a year, I think, oftentimes are met not with joy, but grief, sorrow. Met with a place of all kinds of unmet expectations where we look at the close of the year and think, I guess I got to wait another year for the thing I thought would come this year. And as I began praying about this weekend as we launch into this four-week series, I get a sense that Holy Spirit's wanting to show us the role of Advent in the midst of unmet expectations. 
the role of Advent in the midst of our feels. If you're taking notes today, today's sermon is this, Psalms, an Advent's guide for a feeler. Or a feeler's guide to Advent, right? Loss and unmet expectations and grief are central to the human experience. You live long enough, you're going to have some unmet expectations. You live long enough and there's going to be a place of some fears and worries and doubts and grief and sorrow. And yet I also believe that, that loss and grief and sorrow and unmet expectations are the center, not just of the human experience, but they're at the center of the Advent experience. You see, the glory of Advent is not that Christ would come to the high mountains of transfiguration in our life. The glory of Advent is that he would come in the valley of shadow of death. The glory of Advent is that he would leave his place of royalty and all things centered on him and come to the place, to the stable, to the darkness, to the sorrow, to the grief of all things centered on you. Advent's core message is that he'd come. He'd come and he'd walk among us. His light, very light, the eternal light of God, John 1, would come into the unholy, jacked up, sorrow, darkness of our own soul. And my sense is this Advent season, he's wanting to show us and to push us into the place of seeing his Advent in the midst of our dark feelings. You see, Advent teaches us this, that despite how long we must wait, still he will come. And despite how dark it gets in our soul and our heart, that his light is brighter. Advent teaches us that it doesn't matter how hard the sorrow is, how dysfunctional that Thanksgiving family gathering was that you just had, how, how lonely this upcoming Christmas season can be, that his comfort, that his sorrow, or that, that his joy is greater than the comfort. You see, Advent teaches us that faith, hope, and love, and peace are ours, not in a vacuum, but specifically in the midst of our emotions that seem void of that faith, hope, love, and sorrow. See, Advent is all about the emotions. It has everything to do with emotions. And it mostly, in alignment with the book of Psalms, has to do with how do we navigate our emotions rightly. I love the book of Psalms. I, as a feeler, the book of Psalms does so much for my soul. It gives me validity to all the stuff that I'm feeling. I mean, just choose at random any one of the book of Psalms and you will see highs and middles and lows. You will see David as the psalmist all over the map and what's going on. And the problem is not our emotions. The problem is not our feelings. In fact, I would argue they're the most divine-like quality in you is the emotions that you have. The question is how do we navigate rightly our emotions that we can stay in alignment with what God has for us? And Psalms, and specifically Psalms 80, shows us how this connects with the coming of the one who would save 
our souls. If you have your Advent-approved Bibles, pull them out. They're the kind with the leather and the paper. And now, now you've already read through uh, 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 this text, Psalms 80. That was our Advent reading, so I'm not going to read through the whole passage. But we're going to parse out these verses as we go, as we uncover here in these next few moments our feeler's guide. Four lessons that we learn from the psalmist in Psalms 80, but how are we going to navigate this? Well, the first thing that we see is this premise that his leadership is perfect in our life. I don't know about you, but when I'm in my fields, when I'm in the moment of the low, that this is the number one thing that I have to remind my heart that despite what I'm feeling, despite what I'm waiting on, despite what hasn't come to pass yet, his leadership is perfect. There's no gap in his care for my life. There's no small little hole. There's nothing he forgot. There's no detail that he missed. His leadership is perfect in his care for my life. And even though I'm still waiting on something, it doesn't mean he's deficient in his leadership. And though it didn't go the way he wanted it to go, it doesn't mean he's deficient in his leadership. And in the book of Psalms, in this text specifically, this is how we start. The psalmist in verse 1 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth and stir up your might and come and save us. Notice how the psalmist begins here. He begins with this premise of God as our shepherd, as if to function like a filter, to read the rest of the things that aren't right, to read the rest of your sorrow, of your grief, of your mourning, of all the unmet things. It begins with this premise. He is perfect in his shepherding of your life. Now he's pulling on this ancient Near East understanding that the entirety of a sheep's life is in the care of his shepherd. You have a good shepherd, you have a good sheep life. You have a bad shepherd, you have a bad sheep life. See what I did there? I know you want to do it at home online. Just go ahead and say it loud, as loud as you want. Come on, church. Every element of the sheep's life is in his care. The shepherd knows when to push the sheep, when to cause the sheep to stop. The shepherd knows when to, when to feed him, when to not feed him. Knows how to structure the sheep in certain folds and flocks. The shepherd knows, how, knows what kind of food and how to trim the, 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 the hair off, off the sheep. Knows what kind of oil to rub on, 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 the, on, on, on the sheep. The shepherd knows where they are at all times. And the shepherd is leading, not always literally, to the sheep. Because they can't handle going literally, but sometimes the shepherd must weave the sheep through a field, up a mountain, down a valley. You see, if the sheep are going to have right care, it must have a perfect shepherd. And here in this midst, the psalmist reminds us that he's perfect in all of his ways. I don't know about you, but for my life, in the midst of loss, delay, places that just are not going as I expected them to go, the challenge is to not buy into the belief that God isn't at work. 
You know, there's one lie that says there must be something wrong with God's leadership. Uh, that can't be true because he's got to be perfect. The second lie that sometimes I fight is there must be something wrong with my willing to follow him. Well, let's be honest. Sometimes that's true. I'm a bit of a stubborn sheep. But I got to remind myself that if my heart is tender and pliable, I'm going to miss some. I'm going to miss it sometimes. But if it's pliable, grace and mercy says his leadership constructs and moves and shapes on my behalf and will get me where I need to get to. And when my feelings are rejecting this premise, I must remind myself that he is a good shepherd. That there's a fullness of prophetic purpose in what he's doing. Catch this. Advent shows us that God's delay doesn't mean deficiency. Advent's delay, Advent shows us that God's delay in bringing about the promise and the fullness of what could be doesn't mean deficiency for my life or his leadership. It just means we own a journey. And there's a fullness of time, a fullness of purpose that he is orchestrating to bring together. Paul, writing in the book of Galatians about Christ's coming, says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There is a fullness of time to every season, to every purpose, to everything. The, 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 the point of Advent is it rarely comes in the way in the time that we want it to. But it always comes in his full season. 700 years from roughly from the time of writing of this psalm to when Jesus would come. Imagine this, generation after generation after generation of Israel waiting for the promise of what Psalms 80 would declare, waiting for the promise, waiting for the promise. And in those 700 years, God's leadership was not deficient. It was just waiting for the right time when one culture had produced peace and roads and language that a single message of Christ's coming could be spread quickly amongst all of the nations See, there was a perfect moment and a perfect time. And if we're going to navigate our feelings rightly, Advent in Psalms 80 says we must begin with this premise that his leadership is perfect. What lens are you looking at your unmet expectations through? And unless it begins with this, my suggestion to us is our feelings will drive our decisions, not our understanding of him as shepherd over our lives. His leadership is perfect. Secondly, the second lesson that we see in this is that he is with us. So if the first battle, for me at least, is, 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 is understanding that his leadership is perfect, though it's not how I want it to be, the second is oftentimes I just feel overlooked, hidden, or just flat out missed. See, the psalmist has seemingly this gap between who he understands God to be in his shepherding and his lived experience as being cared for as his sheep. Catch it. He starts out in, in, in the first verse, you are a great shepherd, perfect essentially in your care. 
But listen to how he describes his life. He even starts to say, hey, shepherd, give ear. Can you hear your sheep calling on you? Verse 2, can you look at me? Do you see me? Verse 4, how long? How long is this going to go on? Verse 7, hey, 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 can you look at me? I'm down here. I'm down here. Verse 14, can you turn again because it's been a minute? Verse 19, hey, 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 let your face shine. Hey, hey, do you see where I am? And the psalmist is describing this life of feeling outside of the Lord's presence, outside of his care. It's amazing how in the midst of unmet expectations, in the midst of waiting, for me at least, it's maybe I'm having to wait because he forgot that I'm here. I feel so low. Does he even know how low I am? In verse 5, the psalmist does something interesting. He uses this phrase. He says, you have fed us with the bread of tears. Now this phrase isn't used anywhere else in Scripture. And it's a word play that the psalmist is working on. You see, in the tabernacle and then in the temple, there was what was called showbread. There was bread that the priest could feast on, and there was bread that was essentially uh, uh, the premise that God's presence would provide provision, and we would partake of this bread in light of provision, in light of presence, in light of him being with us. It's a precursor to the Eucharist that we would partake of later on. And what the psalmist here says is you haven't fed me with the bread of your presence because what that began to be known as was the bread of his face or the bread of his presence. He says you've not fed me with the bread of your presence. What you're feeding me with is the bread of tears because I'm outside of where you are. I'm outside of what you promised you would be with me. You see, you see, uh, Advent at its core is boiled down to a single idea that God is with us. Emmanuel, he is with us. And in the place of his emotions, in the place of feeling persecuted and oppressed and missed what was going on, he's describing a sentiment that you're not even with me or near me. See, the glory of Advent is not that he's with you despite your pain. It's not that he's with you despite your fear and your worry and the darkness, the glory of Advent is he's with you in the pain. He's with you in the fear. He's with you in the hurt. Online, wherever you are, he's, he's with you where you are. And you may feel lost and forgotten, and he's there. He's with you when you got to take the 30-minute shower to try to get your mind right just to leave the house. He's there. He's with you when you pull up to your job 25 minutes early just so you can get up the strength to get into that job that's so hard for you. He's there. In the midst of that dysfunctional family relationship, 
He's there. In the midst of a bank account dropping faster than what you can provide funds for, he's, he's there. See, Advent teaches us that his presence is the salvation. See, this phrase that the psalmist uses, let your face shine, let your face shine, let your face shine, is this idea not just that God would look at us, but that he would be with us and near us. And when he looked at us, we were in his presence. We were near him. We were with him, and he was with us. You see, this journey of Advent in our feelings that the psalmist walks us through is it doesn't matter what your emotions feel in the moment. He's present, and there ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Yeah, you know, Kepsel didn't help me out with that either. Come on, y'all. Online, I hope you were singing. There is no space that his reality isn't in with you. Where have you bought into the lie that says the dark fear and worry and sorrow and grief that you are facing has disqualified you from his presence? What would the psalmist say? I can go to the heights of the heavens or the depths of Sheol and you are there. Maybe the question is not, is he with you in your grief and sorrow? It's, do you see him? Have you looked for him? Or have you bought into the lie that the grief is too big, the darkness is too great, the silence is too loud, that he isn't with you? He is with us. The third thing that we see out of this is that we must watch are labels. And I'm not talking about the designer labels you bought on Black Friday or that you're going to buy on Cyber Monday. I'm talking about the labels that we allow to be put on ourselves. You see, in the midst of Advent's wait, we have to watch how we view ourselves. Ain't it interesting how so often we define ourselves more by what we haven't walked into and what promises haven't been fulfilled than by what he's been doing in us. In the midst of waiting so often, the voice and the narrative that is the loudest is all about what hasn't come to pass, what hasn't brought, been brought to fruition, what promises haven't been seen to be manifested, not what he's been doing in us, through us, and on us. And we can allow a narrative of ourselves and others to dictate how we define ourselves. Ain't it funny how we use labels on stuff? It's not just that you lost a mom or dad, it's you became an orphan. It's not just that you're in between jobs, it's you're unemployed. See, it's not just that we lost something, it's not just that something hasn't come to pass, it's you are this. And we allow the you lost something, you hadn't seen something to turn into you are something. Look what our psalmist does here. In verse 6, he says, you, he's talking to God, has made us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among us, about us. The first kind of labels, the first kind of talk I think we have to watch is our self-talk. 
Notice what the psalmist doesn't say. He does not say you've made us as sheep of your pasture, as the beloved bride that you're purifying, as the people of your hand, as the handiwork of those made in your image. No, he depersonalizes. He strips himself of all of the glory of the people of covenant. And all he says about himself is, I am an object of strife and pain. Where in the midst of your feels, in the midst of unmet expectation, have you let self-talk determine how you view yourself? And that narrative played over and over in your mind is determining how you live your life and your emotions. But it doesn't just stop with self-talk. It's others talk too. Ain't it funny how other folk got a whole lot to say about your journey of waiting with God? They, other folk have a whole lot of words and opinions about what you haven't done or have done, don't they? Look what our psalmist says. Not only am I an object of pain, but oh, also our enemies laugh amongst themselves about us. You see, the, the public discourse on your season of waiting must be ferociously guarded as to what you're going to listen to. Because otherwise what happens is I will let my feelings be driven by your perspective of my life. And I'm not talking about divine counsel or, 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 or pastoral counsel of helping you. Under, I'm talking about the social media feed in your life. I'm talking about your friends with unredeemed minds and even some saved folk who don't understand what they're saying. Dictating your emotions by what they think you should be doing. 2007, I had completed my seminary degree. In 2006, in conjunction with Pastor Steve, we had launched a bunch of young adult life groups. We had launched a, 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 uh, a weekly young adult prayer gathering, or excuse me, a, a corporate weekly service gathering, what NAOS essentially is now. And then in 2007, in conjunction with Pastor Dan and Pastor Wayne, we actually launched the Saturday Night Campus. And I was a Saturday Night Campus pastor for this. So I'm doing all this ministry stuff, but because of some financial dynamics, I couldn't come full-time onto the church yet. And, and, and my friend, my fellow colleague in the Lord, decided that every time he would see me, he'd ask me this question, are you doing something with your degree yet? You, are, are you putting that money to work at all yet? Because all I see you doing is volunteer stuff. And it's amazing how his little narrative in my ear formed how I saw God doing something in me in ministry. It's amazing how, how his little mocking, his little poking, his little understanding of my ministry journey determined how I saw my ministry journey. And if I was going to step into whatever God had for me, I had to shut the mouth of somebody who didn't understand a darn thing about pastoral leadership in life. We've got to be careful who you are letting speak to your life about your advent. Because then their voices tell us what we should be waiting on. But it's also the labels I put on God. It's the God talk. You ever notice how the longer you wait, the more you talk to God differently? <laughs> Look at our psalmist here. Verse 3, he says, oh God, 
Verse 7, he says, O God of hosts. We get to the end, verse 19, O Lord God of hosts. He is frantically upping the language scale to God. Where all of a sudden, I am adding all the disclaimers, all the stuff to try to convince him to come when I need him to come. So here I am, got this little dude chirping in my ear, and I'm all out of whack. And what happens, I start yelling, lamenting, crying out, screaming at you, insert whatever adjective you want online, to God about all the things that he is about my advent. And finally, he just says to me, he says, why are you yelling at me? I mean, I got big boy pants on, I can handle it, but here's the problem. Your emotions are not in alignment with my work. And this, you know this to be true by how you speak, speak to me. You know, I have all kinds of talk to people in my car. I, I figure out I got problems with folk by listening to how I talk to them in the shower. It's true about God. The issue is not that he can't handle my emotions. It's that my emotions must also align with my mouth. When you read the book of Psalms and the lament, it, it goes through all the emotions, all the feels, but every form of lament ends with a phrase, ends with an element of vertical worship that says, though I don't understand, my soul aligns to your care for me. And the problem is, it, my, it's not that my emotions get right and then my language to him gets right. It's my language to him gets right and then my emotions do. Here we are on all our fields wondering why we are still off and it's because we haven't shifted our talk. What if you did this week, you wrote out your prayers and maybe you are in your car yelling at God like I was. And maybe he has to say, start talking to me like I already want to bring the advent. Yes, you're waiting. But you don't have to manipulate me by your words to get me to come. You don't have to convince me to do that which I've already said I would do. Just be still. Where do you need to change your self-talk? Where do you need to change your other's talk? And where do you need to change your God talk? That you can rightly align emotions to rightly step into the advent when he wants to come. Fourthly and lastly, okay, you can come. If we're going to have hope for the future and the waiting, we must look back in order to see forward. I want you to catch something here. Your advent present must look back to his faithful past in order to have hope for a future in him. I'm gonna say it again. Your advent present, your waiting, the moment of waiting for the promise to come, must look back at where he's fulfilled what he's done in the past in order to have hope and vision for that which he wants to do in the future. 
So our psalmist is in all of his fields, all of these moments. And look, look what he does. Verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. Speaking of Israel becoming a nation in Egypt and then being delivered from slavery. You drove out the nations and you planted it, cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. And he prod them, I believe this is speaking of him establishing them in the promised land of Canaan. And this vine filled the skies and the mountains were covered with the shade and even the mighty cedars with his branches. He established a moment for Israel. And as the psalmist accounts for what he did in the past, though he's still in a moment of waiting, look at what he does. He turns to the future. And have regard for this vine, O God, verse 15, for the son whom you have made strong for yourself. Oh, but let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, the son of man, speaking of the coming Messiah, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God, Lord of hosts. Let your face shine that we might be saved. Where are the promises of the past that you've just forgotten? yet unfulfilled and yet fulfilled. Where? Where have you been so wrapped up in the momentary emotions, so in the present, and the future is so foggy for how he's going to bring it about? And the question is not having eyesight to see in the future. The question in the midst of your feels and sorrow and grief is not turning to the future, but turning to the past, saying, where have you moved on my behalf? That I'd have faith to continue to wait in the moment. Church, this is your single homework assignment for this week, week one of Advent. One thing, that's it. Scour your journals, scour your posts, Scour your Bibles that you filled in and marked up all the stuff and find all of the prophetic promises he gave you. Maybe it's about a family member. Maybe it's about a marriage. Maybe it's about a ministry. Maybe it's about something that you sensed him both doing and did. And uncover those. And let that build faith in your life for what you would do in the future. Let the promises of God fulfilled and promised be the aligning work of your emotions that you can wait rightly for his advent yet to come. Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. 
All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on the next video. Take care.